Hi, good morning. I'm David Fisk. I'm one of the assistant pastors here. And uh, I know that when you see me walking up to preach that you're probably thinking, oh great, David's going to talk about suffering because those are the only texts that he preaches from. <laughs> right? And I've been typecast and the staff know it and tease me about it. And even some of the elders know it and tease me about it. But this morning, we're going to talk about suffering. So it's like, you're like, give me First John or like something about love. Come on. Uh, but we're looking uh, at uh, the book of First Peter. We're still in our series of going through the Bible book by book and taking a whole book and preaching about it one time. And we're coming down to the end. And this morning we have First Peter. And, you know, I thought about it and thought, you know, suffering is really something that we all experience. And so if we get up here and talk about it every week, it's not like everyone is like, oh, I, I don't, that doesn't apply to me, I'm good. Right? Like it applies to everyone in this room, you know? And when you think about suffering, I'm not talking about like, I dropped my iPhone and it cracked, why God, why? You know, like, or like, Everyone's watching Ted Lasso and I don't have Apple TV. Why do I suffer? You know? Like, it's not, my blender is discontinued at Bed Bath & Beyond. I must endure. You know? Like, that's not the kind of suffering I'm talking about. Okay? It's not what First Peter is about. First Peter is about people who are in pain, people who are being abused, people are being betrayed and abandoned and hopeless people who are mourning dead ones, people who are experiencing injustice on a big level. And really, I want you to understand, all of us experience real suffering, whether it's big T trauma or little t trauma. Like, we're all on that spectrum somewhere. We're all experiencing the world not as it was supposed to be. And so, uh, the audience of First Peter is uh, enduring this kind of local outbreak from the Roman Empire of, um, of suffering and persecution. Um, they're being executed. They're being thrown in jail. They're, like I said, being persecuted and condemned. And so this whole book is about undeserved suffering. But it's also about salvation in Jesus and the Holy Spirit who gives us hope both in the future, but also now. So there is good news. Emily's gonna come read for us our passage, and let me just uh, warn you ahead of time. Usually we respond with, this is the word of the Lord, and we say thanks be to God. This morning we're gonna use a, pas a little passage from First Peter to do something different. I'm not going to tell you what it is. She, she's going to do it, and you're going to have to pay attention. This morning's scripture lesson comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that tested, sorry, so that tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Emily. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask him to bless the preaching of it. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you and ask that Father, Son, and Spirit would be here amongst us, that you would um, bless us by showing us new, new mercies that you have shown us, by showing us how you are all-powerful and yet good, how, that you, how you are always with us when we go through trials and go through suffering. Lord, bless our time for the glory of Jesus and for our help. Amen. Recently, I was tucking one of my daughters into bed, and she turned to me and said, Dad, if God is in control of everything, why do you let COVID happen? And I was like, that is a great question. Mom's coming in in just a second. You can't ask her. I love you. Good night. You know, I did. We had a long discussion, you know, like, wh like, why do my kids get philosophical right at bedtime, you know? Like, so we talked through <laughs> the answer. We talked through a lot of what I had been looking at in First Peter. So in a way, I was like, oh, thank you, God, like, for preparing me for this situation. Um, but it, I mean, it's a, a question that we all ask, right? I mean, we are in the middle of COVID. We look around and two years ago, no one would have had a mask on. And if they did, we'd all be like, ooh, you know, right? But this problem of evil and suffering is an objection to Christianity. It does make us question God or doubt God or struggle to believe certain things about him. And I think kind of the, the two categories, of, I heard Tim Keller kind of put them in, into these two categories of either God is in control and he's not very good because he doesn't stop suffering. Or God's good, but he's not in control because he doesn't stop suffering. 
See those two distinctions? Like he's, he's either all-powerful or he's good. He can't be both like the Bible talks about. No, no. No, no. And I have to say up front that this passage, I, I remember being uh, in seminary and working at this um, couple's garden that I, I worked for them, and I was listening to sermons, and I, I listened to this one, and it just helped me tremendously kind of in a life-changing way. And um, I'm going to borrow from Tim Keller's sermon liberally, okay, because <laughs> it was so helpful for me. First, you look at verses 6 and 7, Peter is writing, and he's saying, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter is saying is, you're going to experience suffering. And when you experience suffering, you can have a response. You can, have, uh, you can find yourself having praise and glory and honor in Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm going to say, I don't always have that response to suffering, like real suffering, right? Like sometimes we start to doubt God, like, what are you doing? Why did COVID happen? I want to know. Why would you do this? You know, we start to doubt or we think like, this is so unfair. You owe me more. You owe me better. Or we just get really, really angry because we're so hurt and don't know what to do. And what First Peter is about is that suffering doesn't have to weaken your faith. Suffering can actually strengthen your faith, can actually strengthen your faith. And we're going to get to how in a minute, but I want to just take a sidebar and talk about if you're not a Christian, don't identify as a Christian. And um, I have a good friend who uses this objection. He says, you know, God, I, d I just don't want anything to do with him because my life is so rough. If he's good, like he wouldn't have given me all this stuff to deal with, these trials. So I just reject him. And I think, you know, I say to him, well, if you have no God, then I guess you're the one who thinks and decides what's right and wrong. And he's like, well, I guess so. And I'm like, well, then I get to decide what's right and wrong in my life, right? And he's like, well, I guess so. I'm like, so it's just natural selection then. It's just survival of the fittest, right? It's just me versus you. And he doesn't really want to talk much after that. Um, and so it's almost like this, this problem of suffering, this argument of evil and suffering against God is actually harder for someone who doesn't have a God, a higher being, to tell you what's right and what's wrong or to help you through your suffering. You actually have a harder time if you reject him, say he doesn't exist, okay? Sidebar over. All right, so how do we as Christians handle suffering? First Peter is gonna show us how our faith can actually be strengthened in suffering, and he's gonna do it in three ways, and I'll tell you up front, 
what they are. You look back, you look forward, and you look into, okay? Back, forward, and into. Totally stole that outline from Tim Geller. So first, what does Peter compare faith to? You see it in verse seven. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's talking about faith that's more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. Now you need to think about a crucible. Do you know what a crucible is? A crucible is when you take something and you put it in the fire so that imperfections will be burnt away. And then what you're left with is stronger. What you're left with is something that is purer. And this, this did happen in the Bible, you know, in Daniel. You know, the, there was a, a ruler named Nebuchadnezzar who made an image of himself and said, everybody in the land has to bow down to my image. And there were three guys who didn't do it, three Jewish men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Like, you know this. And they refused to bow down, and so Nebuchadnezzar wants to kill them. And he goes and he, he says, set the furnace, you know, as hot as it'll go, and then more. And it's so hot that the, the, man, the man, the guard, who's taking these three men to the furnace and puts them in, it's so hot that he dies. And Nebuchadnezzar is looking in there, and he's waiting for them to die. And he says, what's going on? I see four people in there. Not just three. Who is that? It looks like the Son of Man. And if you read in the Gospels, especially Mark, that is the word that Jesus, that's the term that Jesus uses for himself, the Son of Man. And so what, what Peter is trying to talk about is what prophets have also talked about. Like he said that in verse 10, prophets prophesied about the grace that will be yours. Isaiah 43, it's a song sometimes that we sing. You know, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the fire, you'll not be consumed. He's saying, I will be with you. And so God's promise is, it is not you're not going to go through trials. It's, it's not even if you go through trials, but when you go through trials. And his promise, evidence like in Daniel 3, his promise is, I will be with you through those trials. I so care about you. I so love you. I'm so interested in you. I will be with you through your suffering. I will be with you. And so, you might say, well, okay, what does that even mean? Like, if the flames aren't going to consume me, what does that mean? Well, he promises this, I'm going to be with you. And he says, but the flames will not consume you. And what I mean by that, what he means by that is like, you won't become bitter. You won't become hardened. And the flames will actually refine you and strengthen your faith. And so this question of like, 
what am I looking back to? Isaiah 43 is saying, I will be with you. We look back to the cross. We look back to when God said, I am going to come into the world as a man, and I'm going to suffer more than anything that you can imagine and more. I am going to come into the world, and I'm going to be with you to the point of experiencing pain and death and suffering. I mean, think about like in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is sweating blood and asking out of it, like, can you let this cup pass from me? Can you let this come and go to someone else? You, but we look at the cross and see how Jesus cries out, why have you forsaken me in the midst of all his pain? You look back at the cross and you see how God entered this broken world as Jesus. And on the cross, it's how he is experiencing the suffering that we deserved and more. He's experiencing cosmic, infinite suffering. And he did go through the fiery furnace. He did drink the cup of wrath that you and I deserve. And so, the answer to the question, why does God allow suffering, is I don't know. But I know what the answer cannot be. The answer cannot be that he doesn't care. The answer cannot be, I don't really love you guys, I'm not really interested in you. It can't be that. Because when you look back at the cross, you see him taking all of the abuse and the betrayal and the pain and the suffering and the torture on himself for us. He's saying, this is how much I care about you. This is how much I love you. This is how much I love you. And he took all that, soft, all that suffering on himself and why? Why did he do it? Well, he did it because he hates suffering that much. One writer says he's willing to plunge himself into agony of ultimate suffering for you so that he could end suffering once and for all and not end us. And if he does that for you, then you have the assurance that he is with you when he promises it. He is with you in your suffering. Okay? So that's looking back. Well, what's the next one? Looking forward. Looking forward. Look at verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Living hope. We sang about that earlier. Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, so he's talking about a living hope. Like I said, we sang about that earlier. He's also talking about, like in verse 4, the inheritance an inheritance that we will get in heaven. 
an inheritance that's kept in heaven, and it's not only spiritual, it's also physical, okay? He uses Jesus in verse 3 as we have hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And if Jesus was resurrected and will be resurrected, then we know that we will inherit from him this promise. And you might say, okay, that's great, but heaven sounds a little boring, right? Like, I don't want to sit on a cloud and play a harp day after day after day. I don't either, right? But what does the Bible teach us about this future hope? What does the Bible teach us about this inheritance? What does the Bible teach us about looking forward? It teaches us about one day, someday. It teaches us about how when Jesus is going to come back, he's going to make all things new. How he will refine everything in this world, and he will make all things new. And he's going to have a restoration of life back to us, and one day, someday, this will happen. And you see in verse 4 how that inheritance is described. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Like he's saying, it's pure, it's perfect, and you will be restored to that. Tish Harrison Warren has this wonderful quote that my wife gave me. She said, this is better than anything you have. Um, No, I'm just kidding, she didn't say that. (laughs) But she probably could have. Tish Harrison Warren, this is kind of a long quote, but it's so good. And she writes, what if, she's talking about Revelation 21, 22, what would we look forward to, the end, when Jesus comes back, the end of suffering, the end of death. What if, in the face of our maker, we get one last chance to honor all of the losses this life has brought? What if we can stand before God and hear our, story, our life stories told in their entirety with all the twists and turns and the meaning we couldn't follow when we lived through them? What if the story includes all the darkness of suffering? What if we get to weep one last time with God himself, who alone is able to permanently wipe wipe away our tears, and then we get to live in a world where all things are made new? I don't know about you, but to me, that gives so much more meaning to the end, to Revelation 21 and 22, and the end of suffering, that we will get to sit with God and cry together over the hurt, over the pain, over the trauma, over the sins that you did, over the sins that were done against you, and acknowledge them and honor them and show how Yes, this was hard and terrible and difficult and brutal. But this is how it fits in the story. And that's the picture that we look forward to. This is one day, someday when we can do that. And it doesn't minimize suffering. It doesn't explain it away. It doesn't dismiss it. It's not saying, oh, you're going to get compensated for all you've been through. He's saying so much more than that. He's saying, she's saying, 
you're going to be honoring the pain of all the losses that our story experiences. And you work through that with God, and He will wipe away your tears. Right? Another, another quote that's very popular about the future. Is it really a Presbyterian sermon if you don't quote Lord of the Rings, right? Uh, Tim Keller kind of adds to this Lord of the Rings quote. He says, everything sad is going to come untrue, and it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. God will sit with us. God will help us understand. God will help us process. God will help us show us the meaning of what happened in our stories, what happened in our suffering. And He will wipe away our tears, and we will not be upset about it anymore. And that's a beautiful image to keep going. It's a one day someday that we look forward to, that we want. And it's something that can actually strengthen our faith as we go through suffering. And my desire is that the dark, difficult brushstrokes of suffering would illuminate the beauty and meaning of the bigger picture. I said that. That wasn't stolen. So that's what we look forward to. But lastly, we look, at, we look into something, right? We look into something. Look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that they now they have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. Things which angels long to look. They long for it. They want it. They want to look into the story of how God has saved us through Jesus. They long to look at that. And you might say, like, well, isn't that just like the basics, you know, the, the gospel, the ABCs? Like, let's get to some deeper theology. Well, as Tim Keller says, well, hold on just a minute. Don't tell the angels that it's just the ABCs because they long to look at it over and over and over, and they're a lot smarter than we are. And so for us, it's, How do we look into the gospel and find new meaning? How do we look into the gospel and find more hope? How do we look into the gospel and keep getting it of God's goodness and God's greatness at the same time? We have to keep doing that. We have to do that together. I want somebody who's going to come alongside me and say both of those things. I don't want someone to just give me platitudes and tell me, everything will work out, David, you're fine. No. I want you to tell me the beauty of the gospel and the hope that I have in the gospel. So we think we're looking into something, and we're looking at the story of Jesus as a Savior, and the question kind of that comes to mind is like, okay, well then, what was Jesus' hope as he went through his suffering? As he went through kind of his fiery furnace, what was his hope? What was his driving factor? Hebrews 12 says, for the joy that set before him, he endured the cross. Right? 
the joy set before him. That was his hope. Well, what was the hope of getting through this suffering pain? Was it like a perfect relationship with God and the Spirit, God the Father and the Spirit? It was like, no. He already had that. Was it all the riches in the world? All the riches in heaven? No. He already had that. Well, what is it then that Jesus would experience infinite suffering for? What is it that would drive Jesus to, to experience all of the pain and the suffering that we can imagine and more? What was it? What was the thing that was his living hope that was outside of heaven? What was the thing that made him do this? You. You are the reason. You were his motivation. I remember when I was working in that garden, I can still picture it in my mind. I mean, I just dropped down to my knees and wept because I'd been so angry at God for what suffering I was enduring at the time. He did it for me. He did it for you. It's the only thing he didn't have in heaven yet. You. You. Verse 4. The refined, glorified, perfect, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, restored, resurrected you. And in verse 10, the prophets talk about, he's talking about, Peter's talking about how the prophets prophesied and uh, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 says, the Savior will suffer to justify many. So he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was going into. He knew what had been prophesied already. And you were the thing that brought him through the fiery furnace. You were the thing that made him and motivated him to drink the cup of wrath. You his love for you. His love for you, his love for me. And knowing that you were his living hope helps us make him our living hope. Do you get that? Knowing that you were his living hope going through all of the terrible suffering that he did, that he had to experience. You were his living hope. And so when we go through suffering, we realize that he does care. He does love us. And that can be our living hope as we go through suffering. First Peter is all about that. And so when we go through the fiery furnace, and we will. I mean, if you've been a Christian long enough, you know you're going to experience suffering. It's part of the deal. But it doesn't have to weaken your faith. It can strengthen your faith. Because your faith is in the one who conquered suffering and death once and for all, who's all-powerful and good, who came, looking back, who conquered through the cross, who, looking forward, one day, someday, will make all things right and all things good, and looking into something else 
the one who says, I will always be with you in your suffering. Always. Let me pray for us.